This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Good Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek, and I am coming to you from Norman, Oklahoma. And I am Jacqueline Tiley from Fort Collins, Colorado. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on Horse Radio Network for August 16th, 2022. And this is episode 2,999. Woo! <laughs> Woo! Yay! Way to go, Glenn. <laughs> This episode is brought to you this morning by the Certified Horsemanship Association. Good morning, horse world. Houston, we have a problem. Ability equals skill plus knowledge. I got a bad feeling about this. Here's a safety tip for you from the Certified Horsemanship Association. Missed it by that much. How can I change this to make it better the next time? Time for Training Tuesday on Horses in the Morning with the Certified Horsemanship Association. Well, welcome back to your second episode. Actually, your real first, this is your real first episode. We had you, Christy had you on the last episode, but... uh, for those that don't know or missed the last episode, Christy has moved on from the CHA over to the reigning side of the world. She's over hanging out with the Cowboys now. <laughs> and I did hear from her, and she sounds like she's doing good over there. She's enjoying it. Yep. She does miss you, though, Glenn, very much, because I got a message from her this morning. <laughs> She knew we were recording today. (laughs) Yes, and she said, please tell Glenn, I am happy you're there, Jacqueline, but I will miss him. And congratulations on episode 2,999. (laughs) Well, we miss her too. Christy was an institution here for like eight, nine years. It was a long time. Uh, but we're glad to have you here. And you, how is it going? You're t- so let me describe your situation to the listeners. You're taking over the head of an organization with thousands of members that has been run by Christy for 20 years. And I know for a fact, after running an organization now for 14 years, that I'm not very good at writing everything down and keeping a lot of it in my head, which drives my wife absolutely insane. So are you finding that Christy did the same thing? Well, you know, Christy was so amazing and she did remember everyone, every horse, every person. Um, she is just phenomenal. Uh, and so that may be hard to follow, um, <laughs> but she she really did keep everything, um, you know, in her brain. But because I've known Christy for so long, she worked really hard at downloading everything to me. So um there are always challenges when there's transition, but she has done a very good job um, downloading her 21 years of knowledge. I think we had six days, Glenn, before she moved on <laughs> to the National Reigning Horse Association. But I will say, even though she didn't write everything down, she is amazing um, and says, I will always be here for CHA Jacqueline and you and the CHA members if you need anything. So we're really lucky. 
Yeah, you are lucky, and she is that way. She's not going to leave you, ha- you know, hanging out there. <laughs> she definitely. And I do not. call her and text her. I hope her boss is li- not listening. <laughs> I don't think they care either. I think they kind of get it. And you know what? You want to hire somebody like that. You know, even you know, as the new company, you want somebody like that. Correct. You know, that's the kind of person you want working for you, which is yeah. which is why, why she's over there now. So. <laughs> So we're glad to have you here, and we have a very special guest coming up on today's show. Tell us who's coming up. Um, well, today we are really lucky to have Julie Goodnight. Julie Goodnight um, is a horse trainer, clinician, social influencer, TV producer, as well as being CHA's international spokesperson. She has been with CHA for well over Ever. 20 years before <laughs> before Christy was here and Christy was here 21 years yeah. so that says something <laughs> sure I, I i view her as kind of a founding member i don't know that she was but she's kind of an institution at, at the CHA no oh absolutely we're lucky to have Julie, and she has actually truly helped make my transition smooth as well. She's going to be talking a lot about cancer today and giving you some exercises that you can try at home and talking about, you know, the right way and the wrong way and what happens, you know, what happens when it goes wrong, that kind of thing. So we're going to be spending a lot of time on cancer with her. She's our only guest today because you don't need more than that <laughs> when, she, when she comes on. She, you really don't. So now, how, how is your planning coming for the conference? First of all, when is it again? Um, Well, our conference this year um, is October 20th through the 22nd. Um, Really, it is coming up. um, And it is at Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Oh, that's two months away. (laughs) So, and how are you pulling your hairs out? Are you figuring this out? Have you run conferences Uh, before? (laughs) Well, very lucky I came um, from other national organizations that held annual national and international and even regional conferences. So, right. It's like second, secondhand stuff to me. And I love that Christy really has it so set up. So it is easy to come in um, and keep moving forward. It'll be a wonderful conference. And the CHA members, they're all instructors. So, you know, they probably have welcomed you too. They're not, you know, that, that sometimes as a new boss is tough, but I think at the CHA, you don't have that problem. Oh, the members have been amazing that I have already gotten to talk with and work with. And many of those members come and speak at our conference. Uh, this year, though, and I know Christy has talked about this before, our conference is being done in conjunction with IEA, which is the Interscholastic Equestrian Association. And so we have really, I look at it as kind of adding some fresh, different perspective um, and content by having IEA members attend um, our international conference and add to the content. It's really exciting. Well, I don't want to put off getting to Julie too long here, but I do want to remind everybody that you don't have to be a member of CHA to go to the conference. Is that correct? Correct. Anybody can attend. Um, many times we have new people come to conference and then join as members because they learn so much and they're so excited about the opportunities. And what's cool about this conference is, you know, a lot of the national uh, conferences, when you go to the USEA or the, you know, the Venting Association or whatever, any of those conferences, it's it's all, you know, inside in classrooms, basically. This is not that way because you have hands-on stuff that people can watch. And, and like Julie's going to talk about a little later, that she's doing some demonstrations and things. So, Yes, this is the one, the one co- annual conference that actually has horses involved. Right, where you can come sit in a saddle and get feedback and instruction. It is very exciting. 
All right, very good. Well, let's go over to Julie, who's a fellow podcaster. I want to talk to her a little bit about that, too. Julie Goodnight has been a regular on our shows for many, many, many years, and today she's going to be talking about Cantor. Welcome, Julie. We're excited to talk with you about your long time with CHA and then learn more about your counter canner exercises that you're going to be talking to us in this fall. Well, thank you, Jacqueline. Thank you, Jacqueline. It's great to be here. And I'm excited um, to tell you more about my involvement with CHA and the conference that's coming up as well. Um, Gosh, uh, you know, just as new as you are to CHA, I'm old to CHA. (laughs) And um, I guess some people might just say I'm old, but I... uh, You and me both, girl. You and me both. (laughs) I've been involved with the organization for um, about 20-something years now. I first became certified as a master instructor back in um, 1992, I believe it was. And I got lured into the organization fast. Next thing I know, I was working for the organization as program director, helped develop a lot of new programs there. And um, ultimately, as as my real job blossomed, my own business and my own career, I had to step back a little bit from CHA. And um, since that time, I've been involved Uh, primarily a spokesperson. I travel a lot around the country, uh, around the world, and everywhere I go, I get to meet and talk to CHA members and um, inform people of our programs and the good work that we do to promote safety and horsemanship and excellence in horsemanship. So that's the short, uh, short story of my involvement with CHA. I'm proud to be the international spokesperson And as a part of that job, I attend the International Conference every year. So including this year in October um, in Murfreesboro, we're going to be having our conference again, and I'm excited to go there. I've been asked to do presentations on canter exercises, and the reason why is this is really one of the biggest topics that comes up, it surfaces in every discipline, in in every level of training, um, people are seeking to improve the canter. So um, my best-selling video is an A to Z canter video. My most in-demand presentations when I go to horse expos and conferences is also about the canter. So, um, why it's important, uh, why people value that information so much, I, I often say, um, you know, people kind of have mixed emotions about the canner. Everybody wants to do it, but everybody's a little bit uh, worried about it. And I often say it's because it doesn't take long to figure out when you're riding horses that if things are going to go wrong, they're probably going to go wrong when you're cantering. So there is both a huge exhilaration and appeal um, to going fast on a horse, um, but with it comes a lot of trepidation because of how quickly things can go wrong at the canter. And basically, that's because 
Um, when we ask the horse to canter, it, it is essentially what we're asking him for is flight. So of all the cues that we teach a horse, uh, the cue to canter or, or the action of cantering is the closest thing resembling flight. Um, so since that is the number one instinct of the horse, um, you know, that's, that kind of, it might make sense as to why things would go wrong at the canter. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And I think people that, that ride and work with horses all the time probably do understand that. And they would love Julie to know more about how, um, you work with horses and what exercises, uh, make it less stressful for the horse. Well, of course, anything we do to make the rider better makes it less stressful for the horse. And, um, you know, of course, horses are at different levels of training. And so that, uh, in terms of improving the horse's ability to canter and to saddle, there's a lot of different training exercises that one might employ. But before any of that can happen, the rider has to have a high level of competency. So mostly what we're talking about, and certainly with CHA, uh, where I'm doing presentations to a lot of riding instructors, is developing that rider from zero skill level of the canter to a competency level. And um, unfortunately for the horse in that process, the horse is the one that uh, suffers from all the mistakes. So first and foremost is getting hit in the mouth. Um, so I, in my teaching and in everything I do in clinics, in CHA uh, work and everything, I really emphasize protecting the horse. And in, in the moment the horse takes off into the canter, he first lifts himself up. He lifts up his shoulders and his head comes up a little bit. And at that moment, the rider goes, oh, my goodness, the horse is getting ready to canter. And the next thing that happened is the horse dives his nose down into the bit. And so what at, that happens right after the rider just went, oh, my God, my horse is about to canter. And generally they go <gasps> and they sort of freeze up. At the same moment, the horse is slamming his nose down into the bed. So this is the critical moment we have to protect our horses from. So I really, uh, really hammer on that and making sure, you know, we have to make sure our horse, our riders have the ability to stop the horse if something goes wrong when he does canter. But we have to protect the horse's mouth. Um, it's instinctive for the rider to pull back on the reins at the very worst possible moment when the horse departs into the canter. Um, so that's one of the first things I focus on. But long before that, I tell riders everywhere all the time, um, there's a, uh, I'm a, I was trained in classical horsemanship as a youth rider. Um, all of my teaching is very based in classical horsemanship, what we know of as dressage today. Um, and I always return to the tenets of classical horsemanship and everything that I teach in, in terms of riding skill. And um, one of them says the best way to improve the canter is to improve the trot. And I really urge riders not to get in a hurry to canter. It is when riders don't have the prerequisite skill that 
and then they decide to canter anyway, that the horse pays a big penalty and, and they might, you know, fall off or bounce off the horse or whatever, or bounce on the horse and hurt his back, causing him butt. You know, it's just, it's just an ugly picture, to be honest. But what that tenet of classical horsemanship tells us, the best way to improve the canter is to improve the trot, is that there is so much skill to accomplish at the trot that if you accomplish everything you can accomplish at the trot, meaning you can ride the trot sitting, posting, or standing, meaning that you can ride a collected trot, an extended trot, a working trot, you know, uh, you can uh, do circles and serpentines and maneuvers at the trot. If you can do all that, cantering will be nothing. Cantering will feel like you're on vacation. <laughs> so um, that that's kind of where I, I start in all of my teaching and presentations that I do. And the presentations that I do in a conference will be uh, certainly along those lines. Well, that is really a lot about, like you said, safety first. And it's really wonderful because all of the ways that CHA works with instructors is with a focus on safety first. And again, not just for the rider, as you said, Julie, also for the horse, because the horse and rider need to be safe together. So I think mm -hmm. that's, those are great points. Um, I think, I know you're going to talk at our conference um, about can't lead changes, counter canner and more could you give highlight a couple of items um, and then also share things uh, that folks can be working on at home specific to um, canter exercises once they're ready to move in that direction? Sure. Well, counter canter is, uh, in my book, prerequisite to lead changes. Although when in most clinics I teach, and there could be anywhere from, um, you know, 10 to 20 to 40 riders. And I always ask the, each rider to tell me if there was only absolutely one thing you could learn from me this week or this weekend, what would it be? And I'll only take one thing. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's amazing how often lead changes come up and how canter can, counter canter would never come up. <laughs> Never in the history of my asking that question has a writer said counter canter. And so mm -hmm. just so we're all on the same page, counter canter is an intentional wrong lead. So it's when the rider cues the horse to take the wrong lead. And it, I get such a kick out of um, asking riders to counter canter in clinics. First of all, obviously, if we're talking, not obviously for counter canter, but Lead changes is a skill for very advanced um, horses and riders, very advanced. Mm -hmm. It's not um, a low-level skill, nor is counter-canter. It's an advanced exercise. Now, so in other words, it has to be an intentional wrong lead. Just going around the re arena on the wrong lead, oblivious <laughs> to the fact they're on the wrong lead, or cueing the horse to canter and then him taking the long, wrong lead and then you pretending like you're counter-cantering is not what I'm talking about. <laughs> so what happens, so first of all, in the classical sense, first and foremost, 
counter canter is an exercise of obedience. Secondly, it's an exercise of balance. And, and third, it is an excellent exercise for lead changes, flying lead changes. So why obedience? Well, you would be surprised. Um, so anytime I'm teaching a horsemanship clinic, I could have a handful of riders that are super advanced on really nice, well-trained horses, push-button horses. And I've learned to, before we, meaning whenever starts talking about working on your lead changes, to see how many of those uh, riders can counter canter. So I will have them on the rail tracking left, and I will ask them to pick up the right lead and canter around the arena on the right lead. And surprisingly, few of them can do it. And that is because the horse has learned over time, he's learned the cue to canter so well that he's also figured out that when you're riding around the arena to the left, that you're going to ask for the left lead. And when you're riding around the arena to the right, you're going to ask for the right lead. When you're in the middle of the arena, he's not all that sure. <laughs> but when he's on the outside, you've never asked him before to take the wrong lead. So he has long ago just sort of started assuming that's the lead you're going to ask for. So the that's why we call it an obedience exercise, because we need to determine, is the horse actually listening to you and then deciding what lead to take? Or is the horse decide making an executive decision on his own? <laughs> and believe it or not, guys, most of the time, it's the horse making the decision. So before we can even begin to work on lead changes, you, you have to reestablish that line of communication between the horse and the rider. And you have to reestablish the understanding with the horse. And no, the rider gets to determine the lead, not the horse. So, um, and then I, I love watching this so much because often the riders are astounded. Um, you know, they've never missed a lead, you know, for years and they can't get their horses to do that. And then sometimes the horse gets downright pissy about it. They're like, no, that's wrong. I'm right. You're wrong. And they'll shake their head and. Uh, you know, get a little crow hoppy and, um, uh, and then sometimes they just flat won't do it. The rider can't get them to do it. And um, sometimes I'll have to set up some um, alternative exercises like <laughs> riding the horse into the counter canter. Uh, um, a lot of times, you know, what, what a, a lot of times what a really well-trained horse will do is you cue him for the right lead and takes it, but then he just switches back to the left lead because he knows that to be the correct lead. So it's first and foremost getting them to take your cue. And then secondly, on the obedience thing, is um, getting them to hold that lead, even though it is much more difficult for the horse to make an arcing turn on the wrong lead. So that's the obedience portion. So it's a little bit of the rider trusting themselves and trusting their horse and holding their horse um, forward in the, in, in the counter canter lead, which like you're saying is difficult, but 
really uh, shows that partnership and work that yeah, they've they've put forward. Yeah. Correct. Exactly. So what? So then, uh, once we sort out the obedience thing, obedience always trumps all other issues. <laughs> and so once the horse is accepting the cues from the rider and maintaining the lead until the rider tells them differently. Then we then we're working more on what you're talking about, which which is a refinement of balance. It's mm-hmm. awkward at best for horse and rider in the counter canter. Um, you do have to hold the horse in it. Um, your your uh, your weight is is totally different than it is when you're on the <laughs> correct lead. And um, so you know then what happens is then the the third level that we can take the exercise to is um, bringing it to the flying lead change because after one or two or three circles of counter canter, the horse is really eager to get back on the correct lead because it's very hard for the horse. Mm -hmm. So when, and because to hold the horse in the counter lead you are um, in a sort of awkwardly balanced position um, when you cue the horse for the lead change, what you're actually doing is cueing him the canter on the correct lead, and he's eager to step into it, so he finds that cue easily. So that's that's um, all about the the counter canter, and then lead changes uh, obviously have a lot of similarity, and um, we there are other prerequisites that exist um, for doing flying lead changes with horses. Um, one is the walk the canter and halt the canter uh, departure, and then um, the horse, you know, being able to cue for either lead at any time and uh, hold the counter canter. And then we start working on simple lead changes, uh, either across the diagonal or through the figure eight. Um, and then I like to talk about uh, what I call organic lead changes. I think it's really important in the training of the horse that wherever possible, the cue for a lead change comes at a time that makes sense to the horse, mm-hmm. whether that's because you're turning to do something obvious or in an obvious direction, or because you've been carrying on one lead for a very long time and you're getting tired. Um, with young horses that are going to be required to do lead changes in, in their performance, from the earliest time we're cantering that young horse, you can start feeling when they get tired on that lead. So, you know, the first thing with a young horse's training is to uh, ensure their work ethic to where <laughs> they learn that you have to keep doing, I'll ask you to do something like trot or canter, and you just have to keep doing it until I tell you to stop. And we, we can't take advantage of the horses in that, but we have to teach them that they have to wait for us to ask them to stop. They're not allowed to stop when they want. Once they learn that, then um, they're going to be cantering on one lead long enough and you can feel them start getting tired and you can feel them actually start thinking about wouldn't it be nice to change leads. And that, as soon as I feel that, I always ask them to change leads uh, through a simple lead change or just change in direction. And because it made sense to the horse, just when he was thinking about it, I asked him for it. 
um, he'll he'll learn he'll learn that cue really uh, well and soon. So um, we'll talk about that and and those and I I think that you know in explaining what I'm going to be doing at the conference, I think I've also given some examples of what people can do at home. So so what's the biggest mistake people make when? when, you know, attempting to or when doing the canter? What's the thing you see the most often? Hitting the horse in the mouth on mm. the departure. Mm. No question. Um, and um, and unfortunately, you know, you know, sometimes a horse will only take that so much before either he won't canter, period, or he'll get, you know, pissy about it. Mm. And you can't blame him. I don't blame him. And then, um, and then the rider comes off. He, yeah. <laughs> and then the rider goes airborne um, right there. <laughs> but, but what happens is we start going, huh, that horse won't go in the counter. We better get a whip. Mm. Huh, that horse is throwing his head up in the air. Oh, we better tie it down. Huh, that horse is bucking. Oh, we better send it to a trainer. You know, it's, it, so it's, I have the, as m- m- many CHA members do, uh, because we're riding instructors, we have the viewpoint of watching horses and riders from the middle of the arena. And I've, in my career, uh, um, <laughs> which has spanned a few decades, I'll be honest, <laughs> I've watched literally thousands, I don't know how many thousands, you know, maybe approaching 10,000 horses and riders. And from the middle of the ring, you see it and 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 you see it a lot horses getting blamed and and even punished for something the rider did and that's a real common example uh but the other thing that is is almost right on a par when when people are learning to canter actually even when they already know how to canter riders tend to get their shoulders in front of the hips um, and kind of cock forward slightly, um, and then that ends up throwing you up out of the saddle because the canter is actually a motion like pushing a swing, and if you think about pushing that swing higher and higher, there's a motion when you're pushing where your your hips are getting in front of your shoulders, and that's the motion of canter. Your shoulders actually go behind your hips, and so what happens is if the rider is tensing or preparing for that forward motion or just in the habit of leaning too far forward, then um, when that horse goes into the canter, it ends up throwing the hor- uh, rider up out of the saddle. And then uh, that's disconcerting the rider. But then the worst part of that is when you slam back down into the horse's back, just as his back is coming back up in the next stride, that slam down on the back will often hurt the horse or startle the horse to the point where it bucks. So those two (laughs) mistakes, hitting the horse in the mouth and then slamming down on the back, unfortunately, they often go together. Unfortunately, I said, <laughs> and um, anyway, so those, so you can't hardly blame a horse for bucking, but then how often is it said, I think the rider caused that horse, it wasn't a fault of the horse. 
So what it says instead, oh, we have to go work that horse harder. We have to send that horse to a trainer. We have to get the buck out of him or whatever. Or that horse gets labeled as a bucker. Um, And then, you know, unfortunately, horses are such wicked fast learners. Mm -hmm. There's almost no good answer there. So if the rider is hurting the horse, the rider shouldn't be allowed to canter that horse anymore. And then... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then if the if the rider gets bucked off and the horse gets put away, there's just so many ways for the horse to learn to associate his bucking with no longer having the canter. <laughs> so it's uh it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> well, Julie, uh thank you for that. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate it. We're gonna talk a little bit more about the conference coming up here. But I wanted to talk to you first about your podcast. You know, we're hitting episode three thousand tomorrow. We've been doing this a little while. But uh you've been doing yours since what, like twenty seventeen, I think I saw. Yes. Actually we were doing it before then. We and we still have those old archives, but the sound is so bad. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to the we, club. We, we had that problem too. <laughs> we don't publish them. <laughs> yeah, it's because we were so early, Julie. We were pioneers we in podcasting. Yeah, and it, it, we pretty much just sucked. It was bad back then. So. Almost dangerously <laughs> ahead of the game. Actually, my very first product, believe it or not, was an audio recording, which is still one of my best products. It sells more now than it did back then. I'm going to say it must have been in the early 90s. And I, um, it's, a, it's a mounted writing lesson that you can listen to while you write. And I thought it was a great idea, but you couldn't sell it. Uh, I mean, all the pitching in the world, you couldn't get somebody to buy an audio <laughs> recording. And to tell you, let you know how old it was. It was first available in a cassette. I was just going to say, you probably recorded <laughs> it on cassette. So. Yeah. <laughs> so this was long, decades before the word podcast had been invented. And anyway, when I finally started re- report, recording podcasts, it, it was, as you did, it was still before really there was such a thing as a podcast. And now fast forward to today, people are really enjoying podcasts. They're, they're making the most, and I think um, the advent of audio books probably awakened a lot of people to the idea yeah, that it was that audio and, is good. And also the serial podcast that came out really, yeah. really set. That's the, the, if I was going to pick a date, I've been asked this before, if I was going to pick a date, it would be the serial podcast because it had a hundred million downloads. It was the first one to reach that level of popularity period. Mm-hmm. And, and so many people started listening to that and then they went, Oh, there must be others. And then they'll search for a horse and, you know, they'll find us, but yeah. Um, yeah. And it blossomed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thankfully, because I waited a long time for that to happen. <laughs> So, um, it's called Ride On with Julie Goodnight. You can find it on any podcast player. Uh, so, go check that out. And this is just you, right? It's just you talking, or are you doing interviews, or what? Occasionally, uh, on a rare occasion, I, I do an interview. Mostly, it's about riding and training horses. And so, a lot of behavior, a lot of training. Um, and then, we have a Q&A segment which I like to call, what the hey, Q&A. <laughs> and we, it's a quite popular 
segment of the show because it's great questions from listeners and, you know, people love those real life. I've got this situation with my horse. What do I do about it? And we try to um, utilize questions that um, apply to the greatest number of horse people. And so it's a lot of good information and people enjoy it. And it's, they, you know, like to listen to it commuting or a lot of people tell me they listen to it when they're at the barn doing chores. And uh, so it's great. Yeah, I enjoy it. I don't know why. I just, I really enjoy doing the podcast and we're always looking. And now that it's, now that, that podcasts are a thing and both yours and my podcast have become popular, it's really fun. And everywhere I go, people, listeners come up to me and say, oh, I love your podcast. I listen to it. I love the such and such. And um, so that's really rewarding to me and it's something I can do from home. So um, that's great too. We had, we had dinner at a listener's last night. They invited us over. We're at, uh, we're in Oklahoma at Jamie's house and she's a neighbor of Jamie's and the listener. So that was fun. I mean, it's always fun to, to do that. <laughs> well, you can find it right on with Julie Goodnight, uh, right on any podcast player. And there's 70 episodes up there for you to catch up on. It'll take you a while. So you can do that. Let's. Uh, so when w- the conference is coming up now, you're going to have uh, participants in each session. Is that how it's working, Jacqueline? Yes. So we have a very unique conference. Um, CAJ does. And during Julie's session, she will have um, mounted riders, CHA members on horses um, during her canter exercises session Um which happens on Saturday at lunch. Well, they're CHA Saturday. members, which means they'll all be perfect, and Julie have nothing to do. She can just sit back there. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's an evil you know, laugh, Julie. That was about uh, <laughs> equestrian. Uh, there's good job security for riding instructors in equestrian sports. That's very diplomatic no of you, Julie. <laughs> oh. That's right. People are, can always learn new things, and as Julie said, because. Working on lead changes, counter cantering, really, truly any of the counter or of the canter exercises um, are more advanced skills. It's a great time for um, our instructors to get such excellent instruction um, hands on when they're not always getting that from someone like Julie. So, well, it is true that riding instructors need coaching too, and they don't always have a lot of opportunity. But also, I think one of the cool things about our conferences is they are open to anyone, anyone mm-hmm. interested in learning more about horsemanship, learning more about safety in horsemanship. And uh, so we do get some uh, novice-type riders, uh, and, mm-hmm. and we welcome them. And, and now the, we do also qualify the riders for, you know, that's – Lead changes and counter canter requires a certain level of skill in the riders. So, very good. But we'll have novice riders too. Well, yep. Julie, where can people find out more about you? You can find out everything you want to know and more at juliegoodnight.com. I also have a YouTube channel with lots of free training uh, videos on it. And uh, so, yeah, just go to Julie Goodnight. I want to thank you because uh, we discovered before we started recording here that your first appearance on the Horse Radio Network was Stable Scoop Show episode 40 in May of 2009. 
I remember it like it was yesterday. Well, <laughs> I'd like to say I do, but I, I had to look it up. That's a few thousand guests ago. But oh, you've been on a number of times, and I do want to thank you for coming on. You're always a good sport, and we appreciate it. Well, it's been a pleasure anytime, and congratulations on your 3,000th episode. I'm just happy to be number 2,999. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in today for episode 2,999. Tomorrow on episode 3,000, I will still be at Jamie's house. Woo-hoo. Jennifer's here, and we are going to be just hanging out. We're going to be hearing from a lot of listeners have sent in voicemails and sent in comments for us. It's just, there are no guests tomorrow other than our listeners. It's just going to be us talking about uh, the past. It's kind of a unique thing. Uh, very, very, very few podcasts have ever made it to episode 3000. So it's a celebration tomorrow. And uh, I hear that there will be uh, some alcoholic beverages. We will be popping champagne. (laughs) So uh, all of that in the morning, because we record this at about 11 o'clock, so 10 o'clock here. So we'll be having some mimosas, I think, tomorrow morning as well. Cheers. Yes. Well, thank you, Jacqueline. And I'm looking at CHA.horse. And when you go to CHA.horse to go sign up for the conference, you just there's a big there's a big tab at the top of the page that says uh cha or says conferences conference yeah you just go to the 2022 international conference and you can sign up there Jacqueline, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Of course, you can find all of the past episodes for the CHA. Just go to horsesinthemorning.com, scroll down the middle of the page, click on the CHA banner, and it'll bring you to all the past episodes, all nine years worth. Uh, and they're very educational. They're very evergreen, which means that, uh, you know, they're, it's uh, content that you can listen to anytime and get something out of it. You did great. Good job. Congratulations. <laughs> well, thanks, Glenn. And really, I look forward to hearing tomorrow's show, episode 3000. And it's wonderful that you're really making about all those people who have been listening for 14 plus years now. Yeah, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. So that's, that's, that's why we're all here. Thank you, Jacqueline. Appreciate it. Yep. Have a great day. 